So one of my gifts was a private tour with a docent at the art museum. And it was a friend of ours who kind of took us there. And she would walk me around all these different art pieces. And she would ask me, Shaq, what do you see? And I would answer the question. And she would say, what does that color feel like? And I was like, wait, am I in therapy? Or this is, <laughs> this is my birthday gift. I called Ruth. And I was like, well, this color feels like that. So I explained to her what the color feels like. And we did that throughout all the, the tour that she would ask me a question, look at the art, and I would answer it. So I'm going to practice this with you all. So if you see this word that comes up, what does this word say to you? What does this word feel like? What comes to mind? What does peace and shalom feel like? So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to be quiet, and you can just think about that word. Okay, quiet, that's good. For some of us, peace or shalom, it's a moment our kids go to, go to bed, right? Amen. Right? <laughs> My kids go to bed, Eric goes to sleep, I'm like, okay, Netflix, go. For some of us, it's the beach, it's cocktails, it's sunsets, for some of us, it's low levels of corruption and the absence of suffering. For some of us, it's a day of no deadlines or obligations. Right? Peace. A lot of people are like, yeah, no work. This week, I did a Google search on the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom, and I was shocked by their definition. For my visual learners, here, I sound very weird, but I'm going to keep going. For my visual learners, here is a depiction of what the word shalom is. I'm not a Hebrew expert at all. Never went to theological school, but this is what it looks like. It looks like Eric did this, but it's Hebrew. Um, for my, so the word shalom is made up of four symbols in ancient Hebrew. First one is shin, the first kind of, there it looks like a tooth, which means destroy. The next one is lame, which is shaped like a rod, which means authority. The third one is bob, which is shaped like a nail, which means attach or establish. And the last one is mem, which is shaped like water, which means chaos. So if you, when you put it all together, shalom can be interpreted as to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Say it again. Shalom can be interpreted as to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. How powerful was that? That definition completely shifted my Western interpretation of shalom or peace. For Hebrews, peace is not individualistic, but it's communal. Peace or shalom is not passive, but it's active. It travels, it has energy and strength, it has force, and it has the power to disrupt and destroy. It doesn't flee from conflict, 
Rather, it runs towards it. It doesn't hide from truth, but it seeks truth and reconciliation. This is the shalom we discover forming in the early church of Acts. We get to witness the way shalom destroys the authority that establishes chaos. Okay, we understand shalom a little bit. Wrecked our word a little bit. It's not all about sunsets. This week, we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, and we're going to focus on Acts 5, verses 12 to 16. Beginning in verse 12, Luke writes this. The apostles were performing many miracle signs, many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's take a moment of pausing and inviting the Lord into our time together. Jesus, you do a lot through silence. For us, Lord, it's uncomfortable. But God, even in this space, we ask for you to open our hearts and open our ears to know a little bit about shalom, to know a little bit about peace and wholeness. God, would you speak through me to your people so they may know more about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we start our conversation, it is very important for us to first identify the nature of the passage we are approaching. Once again, like Acts 2 and Acts 4, Luke presents the third summary passage, indicating the kind of activities the Spirit is doing through the apostles and the early church. This section appears not only as a summary, but also as a transition. Unlike the other two mentioned, the summarized life of the early church, Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 16, summarizes the relationship to outsiders, including the work of evangelism and the constant threats of religious leaders. So to remind us, this is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage. If we Westerners are not careful, we can make the error of taking this passage and turn it to whatever we see fit, and then imposing on others a behavior or belief that we never intended, especially with dialogues about signs and wonders and healing and faith. We can believe that if we're not experiencing the miraculous regularly, then we're doing something wrong as Christians and churches. Or this is the one I hear a lot in my own personal life. If you have enough faith, you can be healed. If you're not healed, it means you don't have enough faith. I heard that a lot, a lot when I was going through a lot of things. But this does not mean that God cannot or does not miraculously heal. Luke's intent for this passage is to describe how the Spirit has commissioned the apostles with signs and wonders in order to confirm and vindicate the gospel. 
Besides, I do believe this descriptive passage is important for our conversation. I don't want us to ignore the small details of the passage because as Pastor Dennis said two weeks ago, Luke still invites us to examine the passage, reflect on it, and do the slow work of identifying the ethic and values of the early church shared life and see what those ethic and values might have to say to us today. And that's the conversation I want us to have today. I want us to pay attention to the ways early church became agents of God's vision for shalom, peace. Throughout the biblical narrative, God's intents, intent have always been shalom, wholeness, peace. It is this integrated community of right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, and right relationship with the land, all working together to pursue shalom. And we all know that the straight paths of shalom have been made crooked, distorted, and threatened by sin. So despite humanity's failure to remember, God insisted, of, insisted to uphold his good plan of shalom. In his mercy, he sent kings and prophets to remind his people of their story, of their history, to keep them on a mission towards reclaiming shalom. And throughout history, we see Israel and our cycle as well is this pattern of falling into sin, suffering, crying out to God, being rescued by God, living in a time of shalom and peace, and then forgetting about God. This happened over and over again until the Father sends his son, Jesus, who is the embodiment of shalom, the Prince of Peace, to announce the rebirth and restoration of shalom to the world. Now in Acts, we identify the Spirit's continued movement of shalom within and without from his people and beyond. We got a foretaste of the apostles living in shalom when Luke first reports that the early church met the financial and material needs of the people. Luke says, no one claimed that any of their possession were their own, but they shared everything they had. The early church created an equitable system where there was no warring over turf, wealth, or personal security. It was a system built on justice and care for the needy, where every person is thriving and flourishing. See, shalom is always tested on the margins of society and revealed by how the poor and oppressed and disempowered and needy are treated. So yet again, peace or shalom is always tested on the margins of society and revealed by how the poor, oppressed, disempowered, and needy are treated. And now in this progressive mission towards shalom, we see God's people becoming a community of spiritual and physical healing. Luke says, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow 
may fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gather also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. If you remember back in Acts 4, chapter thir- verse 30, Luke shared that the early church prayed for the Lord to vindicate his gospel with more signs and wonders. They declared, stretch out your hands, Jesus. That's all we ask you, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hands. See, the church took this mission seriously. The church took shalom and flourishing seriously. Even in the face of threat and persecution, we read that about the religious leaders and Ananias and Sapphira, that they became known as a community of healing, both to their own people and those outside of it. The crowds were so deeply moved by the power of shalom that they thought that they could be healed by Peter's shadow. It's crazy. Peter, just walk past me, and maybe I'll be healed. Again, the church took seriously the mission of shalom. They took seriously shalom and flourishing. See, pursuing shalom and flourishing wasn't just a one-dimensional practice. It wasn't just about winning souls. It wasn't just about conversion. They believed that God also cared about how our physical bodies were treated. They believed that God also wanted restoration for our bodies, even his own son, Jesus, who shared in our solidarity with the suffering and healing of our bodies. They believe shalom and flourishing encompasses everything, including our bodies. See, this is so opposite of my discipleship journey. Most of my spiritual directors would be so anxious so fearful that they would only care about my conversion, only care about me coming to the Lord, but not my body and how it's treated in oppressive systems. See, so much of American churches define their mission and purpose without reference to the health of the body. They merely see themselves as stewards of a spiritual gospel that focuses on salvation and care of people's souls, not including our physical bodies. In many ways, this is why American churches failed to respond to COVID-19 pandemic. I'm gonna touch on this a little bit. Because our distress was solely focused on stewarding a spiritual gospel, but not a gospel that encompasses everything including the care of our vulnerable bodies. And today, we're still battling the post-traumatic events from the pandemic because we didn't care for our bodies or the bodies of others. And this is why the early church was different, because they care for every person, including their bodies, regardless of age, gender, religion, and social class. They view shalom as holistic, See, God's intention for shalom has always been a part of creation, part of our relationship, and part of the land. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so that the church will continue to carry out this mission. 
It's only four verses, so I'm going to move right to application. Um, so I was thinking about this. I was like, what does this actually mean for us? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Does this mean anything? And I had two things. One, individually and communally, we are called to be agents of shalom and flourishing. I'll say it again. We are called to be agents of shalom and flourishing. Before Jesus left the world, he promised his little community so much. And one promise in John's gospel, he says this, peace or shalom I leave with you. My shalom or my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And later in that conversation with his disciples, he says, I will not say much more, for the prince of the world is coming. But he has no power over me. See, because we are in Christ, we share in that affirmation that the ruler of this world has no power over us. Amen? So as agents of shalom and flourishing, why fear? Right? Why fear? See, fear makes us withdraw from, our, from the needs of our brothers and sisters. It makes us say and do things that do not uphold dignity and honor. It makes us hurt one another all because the world is falling apart. Fear. We do not fear the turn in the world because we know that God's will for shalom will win out. We know that God's vision for justice and wholeness will win out. So we do not need to be fearful of how the world is moving. We are free to risk for shalom because we are sure of it is coming. We are free to let go and say, I'm going to risk myself for this person, for this community, for this family. As a young boy, when I was falling astray, my mom would often say this, Shaq, you know better. Miss Karen, you know. <laughs> my mom would, if I'm doing something wrong, she would say, Shaq, you know better. And I would come right back in and fall back in line. So in the same manner, church, we kind of know better. Right? We know we aren't called to create and maintain systems that reflect empire. We know we aren't called to place property over people. We know we aren't called to place ideology over human worth. We also know that this world is on its way out and no one can prevent it. We also know that the world, the new heavens and earth, is built on inclusivity and not exclusivity. We also know that the sorrows will turn into joy while the world grieves. Again, why fear? God has given us the spirit of shalom to bring wholeness and flourishing to our families, to our city, to our neighborhood, and to the world. That is our mission, is to bring wholeness and shalom to other people. And two, the healing promise of shalom and flourishing still exists. No matter if we want to engage with it or not, it still exists. 
I had this question here. If God has created our bodies in his own image and called it very good, and despite the prevalence of sin, suffering, and injustice that distorts that essential goodness, shouldn't we believe he still continues to care about our holistic flourishing and wholeness? If he created us in his image, and we're living in sin, don't you think he still cares? Don't you think he still, don't you think he, don't you think it true that he still calls our bodies good? Right? See, it's easy to proclaim that promise, but it's much harder to believe and act on that promise. Many of us are still walking the land of darkness and suffering. Some of you in this room are actually walking through real pain. And I don't want to belittle or ignore the hidden or exposed crisis in this room. From my own experience, I don't understand the complication of here and not yet and the daunting question of why must the righteous suffer? Right? Most of us are in this room suffering with that question. Why am I suffering? Why did this happen to me? And yet there are some things I vaguely understand that the journey towards shalom and wholeness includes pain and suffering. We live in this sacred overlap of suffering and hope fulfilled. And these are the realities that cannot be ignored, right? There is no guarantee that the healing agents of Shalom would not be wounded in the process of fulfilling their mission, right? We all will experience suffering. Sometimes the healing that deals with relationships and values, including breaking and wounding, and even permanent scarring for those seeking healing and wholeness is real. But there is hope. As cliche as that is, that all pastors say, there is hope. It's true, there is hope. That there is a promise that Jesus gives us, that he is our shalom, that he is the God who came from the community of shalom and entered into our place and walked through suffering and return back to the place of shalom. He understands that he's gonna bring restoration to our bodies, bring restoration to our relationships, bring restora restoration to our communities. So there is hope and we can hold him to that promise that this is actually God's world and he will not let it fall apart. That he will keep our bodies in place even though that we experience suffering, pain, affliction. So let that be an encouragement to you as you kind of go throughout the week, that you will know that in the midst of the pain and suffering that is you are feeling or coming up against, that God is also holding your body in his hands and also holding the promise of shalom. Let's pray. Jesus, you are still interested in us. Even through our sin, brokenness, even the, 
the unspoken suffering that we are dealing with internally, you still are interested in us. And God, would you, would you bring healing to those in this room today, those who are battling with depression, those who are battling with anxiety, those who are battling with suicidal thoughts, physical pain, emotional pain. God, would you meet us in this place, Lord? Would you touch us? Would you restore relationships in this place? Would you restore the land in this place? God, would you help us to pursue shalom for our neighbors and for our families and for our children? And we give thanks to you for holding the promise, even though that we are all a mess, you hold the promise still. In Jesus' name, amen.